Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now today we have another podcast replay. As we mentioned in our first podcast replay episode, which you can access by checking the show notes below, a podcast replay is when we share with you one of the most popular and most listened to episodes of the Deal Room Podcast. So in today's podcast replay, we have an episode with a fabulous Alan McKenna the founder and CEO of Prosperity Advisors Group. During this time of recording, Alan had celebrated 30 years in business. And in this episode, we talk about the secrets from the inside, the top areas of insight from 30 years at the coalface. This episode is the first half of a two-part series. Our discussion will be all based on Alan's 30 years of experience in dealing with clients who are buying and selling businesses, and also based on the multiple acquisition that his own accounting firm had also been involved in. This episode has been one of the most downloaded episodes, and we can't wait to share it with you again. Here's our podcast replay. Alan, hello. I'm really excited uh, to talk to you today about all of these areas of insight that you've had from 30 years at the coalface. Thanks, Joanna. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Mergers and acquisitions are a really exciting area. Energize us any time that we get involved in a a project of this nature. And of course, there, there are lots of intricacies involved in each project. So I'm delighted to share some of things that we've learned along our our 30 years of practice. Yeah, fabulous. Okay, all right. And I guess let's start off, perhaps we'll just start off right from the beginning. I guess today we're talking about a number of areas of insight that you've seen over time. So what's the what's the first, what's the top area, I guess, that you feel buyers and sellers should think clearly about before they come to that point of exit? I think for uh, for sellers in particular, got to understand how they got to the position of preparing their business for sale. So they're generally you know, three categories of seller. There's the serial entrepreneur that finds an opportunity, takes it as far as they can and flips it as soon as they can to maximize their capital return. There are those that have no intention of selling and they're approached with, as the godfather would say, an offer they may not be able to refuse or at least an (laughs) offer. So it comes completely from left field. And there's the other category, and I think this is a a really interesting one that we probably see most of, and that's the long-term business owner-operator, might be family business, might be a business they've started or acquired, and often they've just run out of something. They've either run out of energy, they've run out of passion, sometimes they've run out of out of money, they've run out of ideas, and they just mm. feel that, that they're blocked. And often there's a way of unblocking those things, and, and I guess in our role, sometimes it's psychologists to try, psychologists as much as, as a business structure advisor to try and work through those issues to say, well, if you did this or that, would you really need to sell the business? Is the time right now? Or can you fix these things and go on to maximise the value of what you have? Such a good point that you make there because I I was actually, it's strange that you bring this up because I literally about an hour ago got off the phone to a client who had been running head long into the sale process and then now is at the point of signing and has suddenly said, hold on, 
I actually don't think what I needed to do was sell in this instance. And it's a lot of wasted time and effort for um, all of the parties involved. I mean, for him, his eye's been off the ball of the business as well because he's been focused on the sale and it's only just had this revelation that maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe if you can share with us, you, you know, do you recall any examples where this has played out in a big way or, or you know, I, I guess examples of when you've been able to have this discussion with client early enough to, to pick up the signs? I think there have been plenty of those, but it's probably where we haven't been able to convince them they've sold the business. And I think that the really salient point is when you're a business owner operator, you, you just used to being in business and running something and having the personality attached to the business, uh, you know, you get into a routine and a pattern. When that stops, people sell the business, they bank the check, take the long holiday and then come back and it's now what? And on many occasions, we then see someone, uh, many people go back into business again Mm. because that's what they know, that's what they really like and Mm. they were really just in a pressured position that forced them to leave. Mm. And sometimes even worse, they get into an entirely new business where they're new to the industry, they really don't know it anywhere near as well as their previous occupation and don't do it well. And a classic was client I had that similar thing and bought the the motel, thought that would be great, a bit of a lifestyle thing. And of course, it was the absolute opposite, like trying to run faulty towers, a disaster for them and ended ended up um, upselling. Yeah, yeah. I've had a number of clients that I've seen that have bought businesses like restaurants and, uh, you know, hospitality type things that have been in exactly the same situation as that. So really good point, not just for sellers, but also for buyers as well to stand back and really think about the way it is that you're progressing down this path. So then from a really practical perspective, Alan, maybe can you tell us what are the strategies that you've come to over time in terms of how you have that conversation? What is it that you say? What is it that you do? I think as a a potential seller, you need to find someone that you know or trust or is experienced enough to have that conversation with that can speak you know, directly and frankly to you about the options and things that, that you need to consider. And quite often, the owner-operator will need to change some of the things that they do to go to that next level. So if it's finance, they may need to release some of the control the equity in the business. If it's a management blockage, well, again, they may need to delegate and create new positions. So it's a bit of a decision about whether they're really up for those things to free the blockage. And if they're not, maybe the best thing is to sell. Mm. They're not able to, to transition to that stage. Many of these things you're talking about are perhaps not necessarily things people link together with a discussion with their accountant. I like, you know, so some of these topics. I mean, is is that something that you have come to over time and that is part of prosperity, a, a, a broader approach to talking with clients about these things? Yes, John, there's no doubt numbers are the language of business success. However, you need to look through the numbers. There are mm. always other considerations, largely around people in value uh, capture as well, that often aren't just reflected on the balance sheet or the profit and loss, mm. but, but are just so important in any business transactions, but particularly a purchase or sale. Mm. I think they're really, really good points. Okay, so we've run through some of the insights that you've had with potential options and exit strategies. What else is it that you've identified over time? I think from the other perspective with acquirers, uh, I think we've had clients get to a stage where where we've 
worked with them on their strategic plan. It's now time to to expand the business through acquisition. A number have regretted they didn't do it earlier. Mm. Uh, so we all think about organic growth and often you know, just borrowing to finance that organic growth. But there, there's some real value if you've got your structure right, you're good at what you're doing, um, got your right marketing and business plan. In acquiring another business or businesses that that fit well under that, you can leverage up your growth and profitability quite significantly. Now, the risk is if you're able to pull it off, and that's the entrepreneur backing themselves. Mm. But where we've been through that journey with clients and running a business well, they're able to, again, successfully run an expanded business and make it fly, and they regret not considering that early because it's scary, scary. Mm. You know, we, we know we can see, feel, and, and touch but taking on another group of staff and a new client base or customer base, it's challenging to many. Um, but again, if you know true entrepreneurs and we're good at what we're doing, um, it's worth taking the challenge. Mm. And so I'm sure you've seen that done well and done not so well as well. <laughs> and so maybe what, what are some insights over time that you have in terms of, you know, where acquisition as a growth strategy has worked really well? What categorizes that type of business or, or business owner? I think the most important thing is understanding why you're doing it. So I you know, talked about growing it and having a larger business. Um, it's not just about that. It's not just volume, unless it's volume for a reason. So the usual things that are important, merging or acquiring to obtain specific skills. So it might be uh, a different type of product that's that's associated to your product, but one that you don't currently provide. So you've got that product and you've got access to a, a broader client base. Um, it might be the skills of particular people in the organisation. It might be a geographical footprint. So you might be based in New South Wales, you want to expand into Queensland rather than set up a greenfield site. You'll get faster traction if you can find the right business and you know, work off an existing existing base. Um, those types of things where you're merging for a specific reason or a thing that will add to your business give you a greater, nothing's guaranteed, give you a greater chance of success. And so am I right to say you, um, over the, I guess, history of prosperity, have like dabbled in all of those areas yourself personally as well? So, so Yes, yeah, so as, as well as uh, advising clients, mm. we've grown our, our own business through uh, merger and acquisition, um, not often, but probably every two or three years over our 30-year um, history, we've um, acquired or merged uh, business or practicing with our, our broader firm. And so which of those strategies for your own practice do, do you think worked best? So you talked about different strategies of acquisition or different approaches to acquisition. Which for an accounting practice do, do you think worked best? We, we were probably um, one of the early adopters to providing holistic advice. And so we started providing financial planning advice in our firm in the late 90s. We had a view that, that holistic advice was future for for accounting firms. And so we merged with a financial planning practice. Um, so that brought uh, individuals with that specific skill base um, and background in that discipline that our own partners and colleagues would have taken years to develop. Mm. And so w working with your clients, how is it that you work with them through the process? You know, how does it usually work? Do they do they come and say, oh, we really want to grow, we're thinking of buying another, you, you know, buying another organisation and then you sit down and have the discussion about uh, how 
how that might play out best for them in terms of the strategy of who it is that they're going to go after and how they're going to use acquisition as a growth strategy. So ideally, it comes out of that business planning process that mm. we involved with with a vast number of our, our business advisory clients. And that, that is firstly, you know, what are your long-term goals? And with most of them, it, it is growth. And obviously, those are the options. Organic growth, or do you do you um, supplement that by by merger or acquisition? And then if if it's well, as it sometimes is, like to do both, it's then well, what does the merger and acquisition look like? And it's just a iterative process of of trying to define what will work well for that particular business. Um, you know, what they see that they need to um, turbocharge their growth and be successful in their market. And mm. there's been some interesting strategies. You had one client who was a supplier of a particular um, product to some of the larger supermarkets and he embarked on a, a program of buying up all of his opposition within Australia. Mm. So he completely dominated the market. That took him a number of years but then flip the, I guess, the leverage position that the larger supermarket chains have in driving down price to him being the, really the only you know, monopoly supplier and uh, had some, some tremendous uh, profit results and ultimately sold the business um, very successfully. That's really clever. We like stories like that. <laughs> Are there any, um, I guess, standout stories on the flip side of, you, you know, I guess, really, really wrong calls that perhaps were quite foreseeable, uh, you, you know? I don't recall any um, specific disasters. Uh, I suppose there are some that don't go as well as as uh, management would have liked. And, and I think we all overestimate the speed with which you're able to you know, pull an organisation into another or deliver on, on your business plan. So some of the things t- take a bit longer. And I, I think mainly where that's happened is not so much around the strategy, it's it's uh, misjudging the people issues. Yeah. So, yep. so either placing more faith or trust in in those that don't know well well enough or alternatively um, you know, not having the, the right people on the team at the right time. Mm-mm. I guess that's such a hard one to, of course, numbers can tell a lot in terms of a story, but people often are where, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to predict uh, and to model. <laughs> and I guess on that modeling point, um, do you do a lot of work with clients within Prosperity in modeling, in, in financial modeling and coming to financial models of outcomes to, to create the strategy? It's really important when you uh, flesh out a strategy such as as a merger and acquisition one, so what does that mean financially? There's certainly the profit element and no one would do it unless there was an appropriate return for the risk you undertake. But the thing that that people often miss or don't think about is what's the working capital uh, investment in Mm. doing that? That's a really important consideration in that modelling. So you just don't switch on the, the benefits from the added business from day one. There's always a gear up period and that's that's a significant often a significant cash drain and mm. you either need to fund that internally or make sure you've got the lines of credit to support it yeah fabulous okay all right so i think we've covered off well here um options for both buyers and sellers um and different options and strategies so what then would be the second area that you've identified over time as issues and insight that that you've seen in this area i think for anybody that owns and operates a business it's always being in the marketplace um, mm. that even though you may not be considering sale at the moment, all it takes is an event. It might be a financial one. It might be a health one. It's important to have it in the back of your mind if it's, if it's not a short-term 
um, matter for you. And that's about you know, being you know, well known, making sure you've got profile, and making sure you mix in industry circles and knowing other organisations where you say, well, look, I like those guys. They've got a similar culture. You know, they're competitors and you, you just never know where where things may lead. And that works from the flip side as well and would assist you in identifying businesses that you might like to acquire or, or merge into yours. Mm. So it's spending time in the, the right circles and often it's hard to justify that investment. So there are industry associations, all the rest of it. Many view that as a you know a day out of the, the business, but you need to be focused on that longer term value and opportunity in building those networks, getting to know the uh, you know the broader environment of of uh, firms in your industry, uh, so you can identify um, good M and A opportunities if the need presents itself. That's interesting. I rarely hear people talk about that as a strategy. It's it actually makes a lot of sense. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. I guess that's in particular in relation to possibility of buying into or selling into within the same industry rather than as you were talking about before the, uh, you know, adding different types of business units. But it's a really good point. And often because uh, the multiples from between different industries can be very different valuation formulas. I think also so, you know, having a finger on the pulse of what it looks like within your industry, not just a generic understanding of business valuation, but business valuation within your industry can be a really useful thing. Because as you were saying, we certainly see quite a lot of businesses who weren't necessarily aware that they might be about to sell and then they're either approached or they suddenly decide that they want to buy another business or whatever. And having no, uh, no concept of that point of what the valuation criteria is means that you you know you're coming at it really cold <laughs> and it leaves you at a disadvantage i guess uh, you know at the negotiation table is that something that you've employed in the accounting industry like is that how you were you out there looking for practices through industry events yes we are as again as business owner operators um, we mindful of that and it and it's having a profile within the industry so we've been approached by our people looking to merge their practice or business on the basis of you know what they've seen or read about us or you know awards we may have won it's building that that um you know, credibility within your own ecosystem mm. i think can help um you know draw some of those opportunities towards you Mm, that's a really good point. The other thing is you've got here is cultural fit versus worst street. Yes. So how, how does that, what's the what's the link into the buyer-seller identification? So, so I guess that strategy I just spoke about of being in your marketplace yep, yep, yep. And, and identifying people that are close, that's one strategy and they always say, make sure there's a cultural fit. I've also seen it work where there hasn't been a cultural fit and where I see you're buying the you know, worst house in the best street. So the mm -hmm. culture may not be equivalent, but there are other assets within the business that make the acquisition worthwhile, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the value you pay is cognizant on that. So you're paying less because there's something, there's some cultural mismatch with the business. But if you can work through that and realise the value in the assets, it may well be worth the differential. But I, I'm sure you've seen many examples. I mean, I, I've seen many examples of cultural fit take an enormous 
cultural fit issues take an enormous toll post-acquisition, even when, you know, the, the feeling was by the acquirer that the assets were something that they could really utilise. How often do you see businesses actually be able to deal with that cultural fit element properly? Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, do you, have you seen that as, I, I just often see cultural fit as being that one element there that many people in acquisition might feel they can get across the line of, but it still ends up being this constant thorn? It is very, very, very tough work and not for mm. the faint-hearted, mm. but I have seen people achieve significant enterprise value from working through it, mm. but it requires hard decisions, it requires early decisions, it requires almost immediate action on addressing those cultural issues and not mm. tiptoeing around, well, we'll just leave both businesses as they are for a period of integration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is a good strategy in most most uh, occasions, but where there clearly isn't a fit, then it needs to be mapped out for everyone sooner rather than later. Mm. And particularly in that early period when people are expecting things, Mm. going, well, here's the new firm or the new company, what are they going to do? And if it drags on, it just it, it's harder to achieve the change than that you're perhaps uh, contemplating in the first place when the deal was put together. And, uh, I mean, a good point, this sub-point of yours is under this concept of buyer and seller identification. So it really is about identifying that issue of cultural fit anyway, right in the beginning, I guess that's the first point, identifying yes. the, that cultural fit, you know, is there or might be a problem um, within the organisation that you're acquiring or being acquired by uh, as well. Okay, all right, so what else sits in this buyer-seller identification? piece, Alan. But again, I, I think it's um, a little bit around you don't know what you don't know. So by um, you know, being in the marketplace, talking to, to, to people in uh, similar companies and, and maybe in other geographies, and, and we, um, from Prosperity's perspective, we meet with um, our international alliance accounting firms from around the world. So you find out what they're doing and the types of businesses that they're getting involved in. And there's a lot of diversification. So a couple of our colleague firms have merged in data analytics businesses now. I think that's a really important uh, area that the accounting profession's heading mm. towards. So unless you're you're out, you don't find the firms that are getting involved in that or find, you know, the smaller firms that are developing that as a as a strong niche. And you know, maybe there's a good fit in coming together with an organisation like that, for example. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, great. All right. So, so I think moving on from the buyer-seller identification, what's the next main area of insight? As a seller, once you've made the decision that, that the time is right or, or that, that you're you know, preparing for sale, uh, it's preparing the business to make sure that you're maximising the value. And this might be strange coming from from an accountant, but it's not just about the net profit. It's not mm. just about the um, profitability of the business. There are so many other things that uh, purchasers obviously will, well, not obviously, but purchasers will look at. They'll add often premiums to organisations that have robust systems and processes within them that might have, you know, some really um, you know, well-skilled rising stars within the business that mm. there's a you know, laid out succession plan. You're not you know, necessarily key man to person, uh, dependent on you know, one or two people. If there's that, you know, good supportive management team, um, they'll give some consideration 
to that culture issue we talked about earlier, but also, you know, what's the innovation quotient like in that business, if it's relevant. Mm. Um, I mean, we're all transitioning our business models these days and no matter what business or activity you're involved in. So so what's the adaptability quotient of the workforce and how, how willing are they to change and develop new ideas? I think um, that's an important consideration. There are other measures that aren't just financial. So have you thought about running a net promoter score system to demonstrate that you have got good customer service and um, you know, loyalty from your customers rather than just you know, saying that or pointing to to rising gross sales, that you've got a you know world recognised method for for proving that. And with your people, is there a three hundred and sixty degree feedback system in to say, well, you know, we we're working with our people to become you know better managers and and um, leaders and so forth. All right. And before Prosperity Advisors, you were Sned and McEwen. Yes, that's right. Interesting. All right. Okay. And look, it wasn't about preparing for sale. It yes. was accordance with our business plan and growing the, the business in wanting to you know, be an East Coast advisory firm as we've right. grown to become in different markets. It, it wasn't about a small number of individuals. It was about building a name and a brand that made sense in any of those marketplaces. And in our case, um, we did it as a differentiator that gave us you know, the opportunity to prompt discussion about holistic service when we talked about the you know, name and why people had come to prosperity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess with all of these things that you're talking about in terms of building the value, none of these something that you can do in sort of one month or two months or three months or probably even one year. You know, if, you, if you're rebranding, you really need time for that to set in. Obviously, for systems and processes, it's not something that happens overnight for building talent and having the management team. All of this needs proper preparation. But, you know, I often find business owners think about this concept of exit at the point of exit <laughs> rather than in advance. So how is it, you know, what are the practical, what's the practical way that you you help your clients grapple with these issues well in advance so that they they're, they actually take and have impact in time for sale? <laughs> and it's all about business planning. And sadly, most business owner operators plan is to be in business in a year's time. <laughs> Simple as that, Sally. I mean, they're busy, you know, putting out the fires and and you know, selling their their widgets, whatever it might be. An important process we we go through here is the the longer term. Well, where do you want to end up? What's the retirement piece look like for you? Whether that's five years, ten years, twenty years out, where do you want to want to finish? Uh, and that might involve a, a number of things, not just numbers, mm. but where it is a number where it is a, a quality of life supported by, you know, a financial underpinning, we then work backwards to say, well, let's value your business now. What's that number? Here's the time in between. What do we need to do to your business to get it to a position where it can be sold for that number for you to realise your retirement or what you ever want to do, what you want to do in your post-work career? And that's mm-hmm. a really important process. It gets people to think through the the day-to-day and start to understand the value of these longer-term investments and strategic decisions and to understand that they need to do those if they want to get um, to that that ideal position. 
Mm. And so, and so, do those do those discussions occur within prosperity, principally in in the um, wealth management, financial planning side of your business, or, or do you think in prosperity? And, and and I guess I'm talking here about other accounting practices as well. You know, does that also? How, what does that look like if it's not just within a financial planning practice? If that makes sense. So, so it's it's more common in financial planning mm. um, on an individual basis, and that that's exactly the methodology. It's what do you want to retire on? What are your assets now and your income, and, and uh, how do we fill in the dots? It's much more complicated in a business owner operator sense mm. because there's generally one big asset, and it's not just savings that'll get you there, or or smart investment decisions, there are a lot of intricacies in building your business value. So you've got to unpack that and work out a strategy and a detailed plan to put all those things in place. So we certainly do it in financial planning, um, but we've used that background and learnings to to introduce that to our business services and advisory section as well. Mm. And I guess, um, I, I guess, given that you've had your practice for thirty years, you must now have that experience of having had these discussions or had had these clients where these discussions have been had within within prosperity, where they've really gone from one picture to a very very different picture over time. Are, are there any examples that you can sort of think of where this this discussion early in the piece has just made a massive difference to the way business owners have been? conducting the business and then what it looks like at, at the outcome, at the end. There are some very rewarding things of being in a business like ours. One is seeing your own people grow and utilise their skills. But secondly, importantly, is to see your clients go on and, and achieve fabulous success. There have been plenty of examples of that. I'd like to take responsibility for, for them achieving <laughs> that. But um, I know we're only holding their hat and coat while they're having the fight and that we're just providing you know, the structure, the sounding board and the advice, but they've got to get in there and do it. And that's yeah. the thing that's not lost on me. They'll, yeah. They always know their business 10 times better than uh, any one of, of us or my partners will at Prosperity. We're about structure, process, uh, challenging their, their assumptions uh, and so forth. But once the plan's put in place, we'll certainly monitor and work with them, but they've got to get, it, get in there and do it. Yeah. I guess our role is to have the hard discussions hard, and when they come up with a plan that's not feasible or doesn't make sense, that we actually, uh, in a gentle way, have that discussion with them. Mm. And sometimes financially, there's a classic example, and I can't name names, where um, one of my partners spoke with a client about the reality of, well, if you really want to to, uh, achieve success in this opportunity in front of you, you'll need to sell your house rent for a while and put the proceeds of that sale into the business to realise the opportunity. Now, that's not with everyone's risk profile. Um, And what we're about is is presenting clients with options. Um, That was an option they chose to take. They've grown that into a a multi-multi-million dollar profitable business that's expanded internationally and it's been a great success story. Again, we don't take the the credit for that. It's the people involved that made that decision – but somebody's got to start the discussion, and I'm you know, proud it was one of my partners that, that did that. What a great story! Because that's uh, that's not a move for the faint-hearted. <laughs> Selling your house and throwing it all behind your vision, I guess. But look, okay. uh, and uh, you know, many might scoff at that 
that advice and it wasn't do it, but here are the choices. And uh, we could tell that the client, it was a great business, great idea, but they were just stuck in a financial hole and this was just the only way out at the time. And uh, it's a matter for them to to uh, seize the opportunity, which they did. But there's the power of, um, you know, because I, I've seen many business owners make high-risk decisions as well, but I think here what you're talking about is the power of behind those high-risk decisions, making them on the basis of also having a really uh, clinical look at the numbers and someone with with less emotion being able to stand back and give an opinion, an objective opinion on it as well. Um, so, you know, I guess that's just my comment on on that story that you're telling before everyone goes and sells their house and throws it into the business. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the right advisor, I think, Alan, that's what I'm saying here. <laughs> I think it's at this time I should give some sort of financial advice disclaimer. <laughs> uh, they seek specific advice in any, any of these circumstances. Uh, just gen- general, yes, general in nature, yes, absolutely. Sharing experiences. <laughs> well, look, and, and I think at that point, Alan, this is the end of part one of our two-part series, um, and maybe this is a really good point for you to just talk to us very briefly uh, about prosperity and maybe how our listeners can get in contact with um, with prosperity advisors if they're interested in getting um, get, getting a bit of this holistic advice that you've been talking to us about today. Well, thanks, Joanna. We're a broad-based advisory firm. We really give advice on most financial matters other than, than insolvency that's, uh, that gives clients a 360-degree view of their whole financial landscape. Um, the bulk of our clients are business owner-operators, so that's how we grew the business initially. So that DNA of helping people uh, develop, grow their business and ultimately sell them for appropriate prices is you know, well ingrained in in what we do here. But we also spend the time to look after the other aspects as well, make sure that that wealth is protected in you know, all sorts of in, insurance and that there are investment plans in place, that the right tactical and tax moves are taken as well um, to ensure that there's um, you know, appropriate return for the effort and risk owner operators take in doing what they do. Absolutely fabulous. I just love, I love the model. And how can people get in contact with Prosperity Advisors, Alan? Through our website, we'll provide uh, all the details, Joanna. So it's prosperity.com.au. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you. We're really looking forward to having you back, Alan, to go through part two. My pleasure, Joanna. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our podcast replay of episode 115, Secrets from the Inside, the top areas of insight from 30 years at the coalface with Alan McCann. Just a quick recap of this episode, we shared not only Alan's three decades of experience of dealing with clients, but also from his on-the-ground experience of acquiring for growth many times over. We talked about how to evaluate your options in exit strategies, how to identify buyers and sellers in the market, and we look into building value in a business. If you're interested in talking to our lawyers about anything related to this topic, then head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com. 
au to book a free 15-minute discussion with our legal team. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, please subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast player to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're already one of our subscribers or even if you're listening to this podcast for the first time. Well, thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Deal Room.